Welcome back to the Empowerment Series. Now I'm excited to finally start this series. This is something I've been working hard. Um, I just want to apologize. This episode has been delayed because I've been sick and I've been canceling uh, a bunch of times. So I just want to apologize to everyone and apologize to my guest today. Um, so basically, like I talked about last time, the last episode was just an intro episode with me and my friend Peter. And we were just just going on and just talking about random stuff. But this series, today's episode, will finally dissect into what I really want to talk about, which is women's struggle within the workforce, within the school, and stuff that they find on a daily basis that us men cannot relate to. So today I'm going to bring in my cousin, my older cousin, you know, not that much older. I'm not trying to call you old. <laughs> very funny. Uh, I'm introducing my cousin, you know, somebody that's very well educated, somebody that I look up to, honestly. Um, that's sweet. And another thing is like, so I'm introduce yourself. Okay, everyone, listeners of the of Tiftah Gang, um, my name is Najma, cousin of your your podcast guy over here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what what should I say about myself? Tell me about your tell them about your background, your school background, your education. Um, I just said the same shit, but mm-hmm. your school background and where you worked. You know, Southside Chicago when you went to Wisconsin. Just a little background. Okay, I grew up in St. Paul. Went to high school. Here, went to college in Iowa, got that, that bachelor's degree, then mm-hmm. um, I did, what school? I went to Grinnell College in mm-hmm. Iowa, small school, small school, um, then I went and I did AmeriCorps, which is like the domestic version of like the Peace Corps National Service in Chicago, working with students out there, high school students that are at risk, trying to help get them to, you know, reach their full potential. And I've lived, you know, I've lived back in the Twin Cities, worked for nonprofits. I've lived in Wisconsin, worked at a college there for a while. So now I live here. Awesome, awesome. Um, you know, Nechima doesn't really know this, but she she was the first one in our family that everyone compared themselves to. Like, our, like, it, like it, it might seem weird, but like when you graduate when you were in high school i don't think you know how kind of a big like not not when you graduate like when you were in high school i don't think you know how kind of a big deal that was what you were doing and like the achievements that you're having like it it was it was this bittersweet thing because it was constant comparison with with me and like my brother's comparison to you you know it's like i should have felt happy for you but at the same time it was like this comparison and like i just want to say thanks because if if you if you and Nimrod didn't do what you went to these top private schools and achieved these education and went to go chase your dreams and went to the workforce and breaking barriers, I don't think that I would have wanted to do what I wanted to do and go to college and try to accomplish what I wanted to do because what was I supposed to what was what was my point? Like my parents were constantly comparing me to you, saying, Hey man, Nechma's in college, she's doing this, she's doing this, hey man, she's a Muslim woman living in Chicago, she's chasing her dream. What are you doing? Like when I'm watching TV. So um, going back to the podcast, I've had a lot of people ask me, why am I doing this empowerment series? And the answer is simple. I have a lot of women in my life that I look up to. Nechim's mom, Mahabir, she has a master's program and she raised four, four children on her own with my grandma. I look up to my grandma. I look up to my mom. My mom, who went back to school when I was like the most difficult child, I look up to majority women in my life. I don't look up to many men. I look up to my dad. I look up to my mentor, Muhammad Dahir, because I, I just I don't I don't view other men in my life as like as someone that I, I I should look up to. Um, 
but I just want to state clearly that this is not a series that's going to have a gender war. I'm not bringing it into this series to have like a war against men versus women. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, I got you. Huh? <laughs> I feel like I'm talking too much. No, you're good. It's huh? your podcast. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a real you in it. Like I'm just trying to like have some detail, but like like I huh? Like I said though, like this 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 podcast is just about you know, it's about empowering you guys and discussing what like, what you guys go through and like going back to you so I can shut up for a sec and go back to your school experience. You went mm-hmm. to Grinnell. And mm-hmm. you were, the, uh, what year was it when you went to Grinnell? 2008. 2008. Wow. So the first year Obama was elected? No, it was, uh, huh. yeah, I guess so. Yeah. The first year Obama was elected, 2008, right? yeah. 2008. Um, so you Yeah, who was in? the first president I voted for? He was? Yeah. God, that's about 18. Damn, you're old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is this where the podcast ends? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she's only, she's only 26. Why are you lying? <laughs> I'm just trying, I'm, people can do math. I'm 28. That was okay. 10 years ago. I was, I was trying to help you. <laughs> but, nah, 28 ain't old. So you're, you're over here at age discrimination. <laughs> so you're an 18-year-old young Muslim woman mm-hmm. moving out on your own to go to Iowa. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your experience. You know, the first couple of weeks, how tough was it for you? You know, I went early for a summer program that mm-hmm. was helping, you know, minority students kind mm-hmm. of get acclimated to campus Mm -hmm. but the reality you know help us with some of that culture shock but the Mm -hmm. reality is you know going from a big diverse area like Twin Cities to Mm -hmm. that town of 9,000 people mostly Adan or white people and being even in the school was a little bit more diverse than the town but it was still Mm -hmm. very different environment it was definitely very shocking and um, it was a lot of challenges, especially living, had a roommate never met before, mm-hmm. like didn't even know how to talk what to this person. What ethnicity was your roommate? Uh, she was white. She's from, she was from New York City. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we just had very different lives. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a matter of, you know, taking the opportunity to get there early, to get to know the campus, mm-hmm. meet some professors, make some, you know, friends, try to figure out the resources. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, but it even, even so, it was still a challenge to, to kind of adjust to that kind of environment, but try to stay true to yourself at the same time. Would you say since you went to um, Central, it was a pretty diverse school, a yeah. um, lot of different races, a lot of different people that went there into a majority-dominant white school? Was it majority-dominant white school? It was. It was. It was a predominantly white school mm. and going from, yeah, like you said, a very diverse high school environment to that mm. space, it was very eye-opening, you know. it. I had a lot of friends who went to schools, you know, in the Twin Cities and they had the benefit of being in an environment they were comfortable with already. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that helped them in a lot of ways as well. Mm-hmm. But also, you know, there's some positives too of going to some place where you have to really figure out, well, who are these people? Who am I? What are the things that I believe in and mm-hmm. value? Um, and how do I stay true to myself within that? Mm-hmm. So having those beliefs tested, I think, can really, you know, make you who you are and help you develop as a person. Yeah, it does shape you. you I know, know you had similar experience. I did, too, right? I did, yeah. I, I would say that uh, my first year, so I, I, only, I lived away only for a year. I, I transferred back... Um, I would say that my first year, it, it shaped me a lot. It taught me, um, it, it, it was eye-opening, um, like, to experience uh, open racism, open um, discrimination, 
towards me. Um, I don't even think that they even understood what they were doing, but it was eye opening. But I was again, I was, I was, I was a guy. I was, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big guy, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still like fascinated, like about your experiences, like, like as, as, as a young woman, um, mm-hmm. especially like they, they can see that you have a hijab on. It's clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just want to like, did, like, what type of racism? What type of racism did you face while you were at the school? You know, it's interesting that you mentioned the difference between like how women and and men may experience these issues, mm-hmm. and I definitely believe that those differences exist in these oppressions. They manifest in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just was reminded of a time where me and one of my friends, who was uh, who was Muslim as well, uh, Muslim and African. Mm-hmm. We were standing outside of the campus center and one of the cars, one of the people in town drove by and just was yelling the N-word at us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they drove past and just left. But, you know, it, it doesn't seem like a big thing to have those kinds of things yelled at you. Mm-hmm. But it really came out of nowhere. You know, we're in mm-hmm. this, you know, very liberal bubble <laughs> mm-hmm. where we're mm-hmm. just... You know, we're there because we're smart. We're college students. Mm-hmm. We're you guys not worked used to. For it. Yeah, we worked hard to get there, and and then to know that, uh, no matter you know how far you go, as, you know, as a black person, as a Muslim person in this country, you know, white people are always going to see you. It's just another N word. So, that's and the kind of thing that, you know, maybe he internalized in a different way. I don't know, but it mm-hmm. does feel like it was pretty similar. The things that we're experiencing. Um, or having people yelling, you know, mm-hmm. about, you know, yelling derogatory terms that they say to women, even though you're standing there wearing a skirt to your knees and you're <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what are you even talking about? But people are always going to have something to say to try to belittle and dehumanize people. You know, I've learned this lesson in life that no matter how successful you are, no matter how intelligent you are, you're just another nigga to them. That's true. You will always be just another one to them because they their values that they have in life, that they they look down upon you. And I think it's like like both of us have discussed before. It's a motivation for us to break through that and to show them like honestly, like I, I I've gotten to the point in life where like I don't care if you think I'm just another nigga. Like this is my life. And I said before, like I've made in the writing, this is not this may be the white man's world, but this is this may be the white man's country, but this is God's world. True. And He created us. That's very true. Sure. I think it's helpful to be, you know, when you when you have an education, especially, I think, mm-hmm. and you're put into an environment where you see how other people live, yeah. especially other white people. It's, it's not before I went to college, I would have never had the experience to live with, work with, eat with, socialize with white people mm-hmm. in the way that I did. And while there's a lot of challenges, there are also a lot of moments where you're learning, you know, you're learning, wow, like, mm-hmm. you're observing them in their natural habitat sometimes. <laughs> Isn't it fascinating just, like, watching fast, them? It's fascinating, but it also is a constant reminder that even if you're at the same place in life, like, we're all students, we're mm-hmm. all in the same institution together, taking the same classes, mm-hmm. that no matter what their experience in life is going to be different when they, in, the, in the walls of the institution, mm-hmm. but as well as outside of the walls of the institution. Mm-hmm. And seeing the ways in which, you know, their privileges in life have gotten them to certain places mm-hmm. where I would have even dreamed of. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it, you can't come, and it just tells me, you know, I can't always compare myself to people who are starting from a different starting place. Mm-hmm. It's like, 
you really can't expect to be getting to a finish line at the same place as a person who started a race, but they started halfway. Exactly. Preach, preach, preach. No, I'm serious. <laughs> that's, some, that's some beautiful stuff out there that you're preaching right there. And you know something I also kind of noticed um, last year is that they don't listen to us in the classroom at all. Like, I'm, I'm a political science major, right? And whenever I'm preaching in class, I'm, I'm discussing anything to do with politics, anything to do with, like, um, let's say we we're talking about dictators. I would kind of notice they, they would zone out whenever I speak. Because, again, like, I'm just, another, I'm just another black man to them whose opinion doesn't matter. Mm. So, okay, kind of going to something. So you wrapped up. So you went to Grinnell. You wrapped up. You're a college graduate. Mm-hmm. Hooray, Nachma! <laughs> <laughs> so now you're, uh, you're diving into the workforce. And something I kind of thought was phenomenal is that you you didn't come back to Minnesota. You you went straight to Chicago, and you didn't even like not the nice side of Chicago. You went to South Side Chicago, most violent place in America. Explain to me your decision to go there. To be honest, I had um, my senior year. I had a few things that I was thinking about. You know, fellowships I have applied for, different things, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a hundred percent sure how the Ameriporps position came to my came to my mind but I knew that I wanted to work with students with young people and I knew I wanted to help people but I wasn't sure because I hadn't studied I didn't study to be a teacher or education at all Mm -hmm. it's like well what can I do to get myself some experience (coughs) and really feel like I'm doing something positive and I'm always someone who's trying to you know try different experiences and go outside of my comfort zone you know mm-hmm. being able to for example in college i traveled for two different times actually one time mm-hmm. for a whole summer to cambodia mm-hmm. yeah i remember I never that. even heard of I the country that, yeah. to be completely honest mm-hmm. before i i decided to travel there first as a student taking a like a three-week course um where we went all around the different different parts of cambodia and learned about culture and history and uh, the society after the genocide that happened in their mm-hmm. country and all of these really you know tragic things that the country dealt with and how their society was prospering now and what challenges they face and learning all of that and then deciding to go back and working at a youth center mm-hmm. that really having that experience really inspired me to continue working with young people so I knew those are the things I was passionate about, but I didn't know exactly where to go with it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Peace Corps, something I'd always thought about. And I was like, you know, I would love to, I've done this, you know, this work internationally. I would love to do something in the U.S. and mm-hmm. try to help all the, you know, there's plenty of people here to help as well. Mm-hmm. Different types of communities. And it would have been easy for me to come back to the Twin Cities and work in the community that I grew up in. And mm-hmm. I would love that. But I also still felt like, man, I, I want to see what other communities are out there in the mm-hmm. U.S. too. And the position in Chicago just kind of came up. And it just, it was a challenging experience for sure. It was almost felt like being in a different country mm-hmm. and a different kind of culture shock. Um, and, you know, it's cliche, and I, and I don't like it when white people do it, but I really did feel like I learned more from the experience you than the people that I was, the students <laughs> I was working with learned from me. And I am obviously, I work really hard and made some good connections with the students and the staff, and I still, you know, connect with some of them to this day, but it is a, a time in my life where I felt like I learned more about myself mm-hmm. and w- about the world than 
you know, I maybe even shared with the people I was working with, what, what I was able to bring to the table. Things that I had never experienced before, seeing the effects of, you know, mass incarceration. And I, I never really knew people who'd been in jail. That was not mm-hmm. something that's really a big thing in our family. Mm-hmm. You know, thank God for that. But yeah. working with, you know, young people who, if they, their father wasn't in jail, then they're or their grandfather was in jail, or their uncles. Many people, majority of the men in their family were incarcerated. And many people, you know, many of the people I was dealing with were having to see the effects of, and the be involved in things like, you know, gang issues, and being scared to walk the streets of their own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. The kind of things that you don't think growing up in a in fairly Barnesville, safe, yeah. you know, place like the Twin Cities. Yeah you don't maybe always see those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was very impactful, seeing all of that um, and feeling like I was even on an outsider. Everybody looked like me, everyone was black, but mm-hmm. I also then felt like I still was an outsider in that environment. And so being humble and as my position as an outsider and just taking the opportunity to be humble and learn from the experience. Yeah, it's not the like best you grew up could, in the suburb know? either. You grew up in the city. You grew up in this hood. Yeah, but it's, I think American inner cities like Chicago or like yeah. Detroit are very different than any other part of this country. <laughs> and you really see the ways in which, you know, there's devastation at the larger level, like, lack of jobs, you know, unemployment, lack of access to education. You see the big picture things that are impacting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are no small things, right? There's a reason why people turn to, you know, crime and gangs and all of that when you don't have any access to education. They close down your schools in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You don't have access to a job. You can't get a job. No role you, model in the house is going to pay the bills or anything. Yeah, yeah, no men in the house. Yeah. yeah, if you're dealing with the... Men doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, those that's that's an impact having a nope, role nope. model, no role model for sure. But if your basic needs are not met, like yeah. having a meal mm-hmm. or like a the place Maslow to hierarchy live, of needs. You know? yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're dealing with trying to attain the basic needs to be a functioning human, mm-hmm. you're not thinking long term. You're thinking this very short term. You're thinking, how can I get food and shelter in this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're always operating in survival mode, you're never going to be operating in, like, thriving mode. And that's where they turn to the drugs, going to the corner for that quick cash right there. That's, I mean, that's one avenue. Yeah, that's definitely one avenue. Or gangs provide a sense of security mm-hmm. in a family unit sometimes, too. People don't think does, about that as well. There's a, and even role models, you know, like older mm-hmm. men in, in gangs showing younger men the way to be a man in their eyes, you know. So there's there's a lot of things... Simple, you know, simple things that you wouldn't even think of, like not having access to a grocery store mm-hmm. within any kind of distance from your house, like living in a food desert. All of these things can impact you in your day to day. We take it so we take it so for granted. We do, and I think for me, you mm-hmm. know, I was in for a rude awakening. I didn't know what America or different parts of America were like because of the bubble I grew up in, mm-hmm. and then the bubble I went to college in. You know, um, it was very different environments. You know, Twin Cities, rural Iowa, which has its own challenges. You know, every place has its own challenges and its own, you know, really amazing things about it. 
and so did Chicago. Chicago has a lot of amazing qualities too in the people there. But it's, it's just something city. too. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. And it's it's something that people like to use Chicago as a scapegoat when the reality is, you know, if you if if you're talking if you're talking shit about Chicago and you ain't doing anything to help people in the mm-hmm. city of Chicago or talk to people in the city of Chicago, then you have no business talking kinda like, about kinda that. Like, kinda like a Kanye West who grew up in Chicago but apparently didn't donate any money like he promised. Yeah, you know, yeah, like his, his, his uh, mom's society or organization, yep, right? Yep. Sure, it was renamed. You know, I have, I have, a, I have a lot of respect. You know, Chance the Rapper. Yeah, I, I, I saw him in concert. Yeah, yeah he, and I have a lot of respect for him. You know, he donated, donated what, close to a million dollars to the Chicago school, he's school system or something? Yeah, he's done yeah. a lot for his city, and he's a great example of a young person mm-hmm. who grew up in an environment and realized that they can do something to help their own community. Exactly. That's why I love when local people come up and support their cities. Absolutely. Instead of sell out. So, um, going from Southside Chicago, you dived into Wisconsin. You made a career move. Decided to go to Wisconsin, and you just want to give a little quick experience, um, quick background on what you did. But I wanna, I wanna kind of dive into, you know, like any sexism, anything that you dealt with while being there, because I know they made you a couple promises that they did not fulfill for you. Yeah, you know, I think the reality of being a woman in the workplace, a woman in general, is you have to, in some ways, spend a lot of time observing. Mm-hmm. Um, taking time to figure out what the situation is, mm-hmm. who are the people you're around, what are they really about? Um, are they going to be advocates for you, or mm-hmm. are they going to be people who maybe pretend to be advocates? And so that was a big thing that I had to learn in the workplace environment. So actually, uh, going into that, so I kind of found this on the internet. Is there any moment that you felt like a male colleague could have came up and stepped up for you in any instance? Absolutely. I mean... Right now, I'm trying to think of a specific example, but mm-hmm. there are definitely plenty of times where, you know, I felt like ultimately the people who make the decisions at the top were mm-hmm. all men. Mm-hmm. And there are times where, you know, they did step up for me, but a lot of times where it was very easy to fall in for them the trap of, you know, not recognizing the work that women in their organizations do. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is because. Um, I guess one example I can think of that's outside of my work but was related to a professional organization that I was a part of is I was a chair of a subcommittee and we were, mm-hmm. you know, leading on this project. And I did a really great job because I, you know, even though it's volunteer work, um, if I'm going to put my name on something and mm-hmm. put, you know, offer to do something, I'm going to do the very best that I can. Mm-hmm. So I did a great job that year as a chair of a subcommittee and working on a project. And so the next year they asked me, oh, would you like to be one of the chairs of the whole committee. Yeah. And I really thought about it, and I knew one of the people who was uh, one of the current co-chairs, there was one male, one female, and I just felt like having worked with the male, he didn't put in much effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember thinking, wow, I feel like as someone who's not even a chair, I'm doing more work than this guy. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I cared more about getting the work done than about having my name on something or praise Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And so I, I... thought about it when he asked me and I said no I don't think I can dedicate the time to really fully do this um and he was like okay thanks and going about his way but so I've talked to one of my female friends about it and she told me that reminds her a lot about the work she was doing in politics where yep. whenever there's a committee or a project or whatever 
men are usually the first ones to agree to run something mm -hmm. before they even know the, the how much work that they have to put into it or mm -hmm. what the specifics are or whatever it is. And oftentimes Damn, that's it's actually kind of true, though. That's yeah, actually kind of true. Oftentimes it's the women on that yeah. committee, even if it's the man has the name of it, the title of the chair or the mm -hmm. president or whatever the title may be. It, and they were the ones who were bold enough to step up and say, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can run this. That's just actually and it's eye mostly the right women now. a lot of times yep. who are doing the work behind the scenes because they're focused more on the work of what they're doing, not so much about the recognition. But then that kind of screws us over sometimes too, you know? It does. So, okay, um, I think I've taken a lot of your time. That's well, all good. But <laughs> I just want to ask, I just want to see one last thing. Um, I believe you're very successful with what you've done. You've done an incredible amount of work. You went to a top school. Um, you're a great role model. And I want... Um, no problem, no problem. <laughs> it's weird getting complimented by my cousin. Huh? I we mean, don't normally you know, talk to each other this way. Huh? I mean, yeah, usually I come in like, you know, like, what up? <laughs> what up? <laughs> what up, cuz? What up, cuz? What you been up to? But, yeah. you know, like, like you said, I'm putting my name behind this and... Mm -hmm. If I feel like someone's doing something that is recognizable, is doing something great, then I'm going to give them that recognition, you know? I appreciate that. Even if it's my older cousin, you know, my older cousin. All right, all right, let's, let's, let's all right. <laughs> So, okay, going. I just want to ask you for these, um, for the young Muslim woman coming mm -hmm. up, the one that are going to be listening to the series. Hopefully, they listen to the series, you Yo, know? No, listen to the series. Listen to it. But... I just say, what piece of advice, one piece of advice would you give to them for any young Muslim woman starting college or entering to the workforce? I mean, I would say the biggest things that made me, you know, really successful or the times where I wasn't su successful made me get back up was realizing, you know, what, where you came from and who you are matters. Mm -hmm. Um, your identity, the thing, the knowledge that you have is valuable. Mm -hmm. um, no matter what other people may say or make you feel, the the culture, the religion, the the values from your family. You know, you don't have to be perfect one hundred percent of the mm -hmm. time. You will have times where you forget yourself and you forget where you came from. But just remember that the things that you grew up with and the lessons that you've learned have real value and merit. And if mm -hmm. you go back to those, go back to the basics, the foundation of who you are as a person, you're never gonna go go wrong. Awesome. Well, ladies and even gentlemen, you've heard that advice. And again, let's thank my cousin for coming on. Round of applause, round of applause, bah, 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 bah. you know, just, <laughs> bah, bah, bah. you know, hey, we don't have, we don't have that like fancy stuff. Anyway, um, this wraps up this episode. Um, there'll be more to come, we'll have, different types of guests with different types of experience. Thank you for listening today. I just want to apologize for the last podcast. The last episode didn't have a, a little wrap-up session. So thank you very much and peace.